as we um, near the end of or come to the end of our study in Ephesians, I just have loved spending this time going through this letter to the church in Ephesus. Um, it, it's, a, it's an incredibly rich book, uh, and I just have really enjoyed these last six months in my own personal time studying and thinking about it and, and, um, and working through it myself. And uh, pray that it's been a, a benefit and a blessing to you as well. I'm curious this morning what challenges you face that you feel utterly ill-equipped to handle. Is there something in your life? Is there a challenge? What, what makes your heart pound a bit harder uh, as you get a little bit closer to it? Maybe it's a conversation with a person uh, where you think there may be some conflict or the relationship is, is, uh, is not... Uh, well, perfect as any relationship is, but sometimes you go into a conversation knowing that there may be some volatility there, or you may go into a conversation where maybe there's not a conflict, but you just feel, you just feel less than them. You just feel not, not worthy or like you're made to feel not worthy in, in their presence as you have conversation with them. And so that is something that seems to be ever before you. Maybe there's something that's going on in work. Maybe there's something going on just in your own heart. Nobody knows about it but you and the Lord. And you just feel totally ill-equipped to face that challenge on your own. Maybe there's a decision that is coming in the future and you know you need to make this decision. Maybe there's a deadline coming. Maybe there's not. But you know you need to make a certain decision and you're thinking through that and you feel ill-equipped to make that decision. On the other hand, conversely, maybe you feel like you're just kind of cruising through life. Life's not too bad right now. And so you're just kind of clipping along at your own pace, by your own resources, uh, maybe unaware. I mean, in our minds we know, but we don't always live with the reality that there is a war raging around us in the heavenlies. And, uh, but you're not engaging much with the Lord because you, life seems okay right now, and I don't have a huge problem, so I don't feel like I necessarily need Him right now. Of course, we know better than to say that, but we might be living according to that. The, the Apostle Paul addresses all of these things with us in, in the book of Ephesians. Uh, very quick background, right? He is, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul is a great first century uh, missionary and church planner with authority from God to go and speak on God's behalf and, and plant churches, um, encouraging the church, encouraging the church, capital C church, but also the church is that he is ministering within to be strong in the Lord in the strength of God's might. And I think that's an important distinction to remember all the time. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of God's strength, God's might, God's power. And as he exhorts them and us by extension to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles of the devil, he draws from this uh, imagery in Isaiah, where Isaiah pictures Yahweh, the covenant-keeping Lord of his people, and his Messiah as the divine warrior, clothed with armor as he prepares for battle to defend and to vindicate his people. This is the picture we need to remember of who God is. God is not weak. God is totally strong. God is uh, a warrior for his people, for his own glory. And so with this in mind, Paul calls the church to use the whole armor of God. It's like when we talk about the, the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, 
uh, you know, it's not the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. There's one package deal with many uh, descriptions of it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? We don't just strive to have two or three of those and feel like we're doing okay. We want to exemplify or allow the Holy Spirit to exemplify all of those through our lives, and He will as we are walking in Him. Similarly with the armor of God. We're to put on the whole armor of God, and He's talked about these, uh, these elements, right? We want to fasten on the belt of truth or in salvation, we have fastened on the belt of truth, but we, we have fastened it on and we're walking in it, right? We put on the breastplate of righteousness, put our gospel boots on, we take up the shield of faith, which is able and will extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy, right? We take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then Paul just continues right on in verse 18, exhorting us to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, he says, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me that words may be given me in opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. There was a tale of a, a fisherman who wasn't really fellowshipping with the Lord very much. Um, he, he claimed to be a Christian, but he, he wasn't really, uh, you know, doing his spiritual disciplines very well. And so he was out, at, out, out on the lake or at sea with a god, some godless companions, right? And they were in trouble in a storm. And, uh, and so, you know, I don't know if the, maybe the back plug came out from the back, but they just began to feel like they were gonna, getting ready to sink. And so the non-Christians call on this guy who professes to be a Christian. They say, call on God. Can you call on God to save us? And he's like, I don't know if the phone still works. Like, I haven't talked to the Lord in quite some time, you know? And so I really haven't been praying very regularly. And he says, uh, I haven't even really been going to church. Like, I'm not sure if I can help, but I'll try. And they're looking at him like, we don't really care how confident you are. Give it a shot. It's all we have right now. And so he bowed his head and he says, Lord, I know I've been out of fellowship with you and I, I haven't been in touch with you for like 15 years. But Lord, if you will help me this time, I'm hearing some, uh-huh, I, I pray that kind of prayer. Yeah, you, you don't know where it's going yet. But it, <laughs> oh, if you'll help me this time, and you'll bring us safely to land, then I promise I won't bother you for another 15 years. <laughs> Do we think about prayer like this, like, I'm a bother to God? We think about passages where the Bible speaks about how the Lord, the Lord sings over us. The Lord delights to show His divine favor to His children. And quite often, we feel, we believe that we're not worthy of it. Well, we'd be right. But the whole point of it is not our worthiness, but God's gracious love anyway. I love in Deuteronomy 8, and I don't have time to read the whole passage right now, but the Lord is saying, the Lord says to His people, you know, you wonder why I love you. It's not because you're many in number. It's not because you're mightier than the nations around you. It's simply because I've set my love on you, that I love you.
Sometimes we look at prayer in this way, right? It's sort of like the last thing that we go to when everything else has failed and we we don't know what to do, so we pick it up again and we try it again and we wait seven minutes to see if God answers our prayer in the way that we think He should, and then we decide at that moment whether or not we think prayer actually works. Did God answer my prayer in the way I wanted in the time frame that, that I think it ought to be? And so I just... I quit, I quit praying, forgetting that prayer is fellowship with God. It's an ongoing relationship that we want to, to feed into. You think about marriages, you think about your children, you think about even just friends. If you stop talking to a friend for a year, the friend doesn't necessarily say, hey, I'm cutting this thing off. We are no longer friends. But you do kind of have to reconnect again. I have some um, buddies in Tennessee that uh, I, I was in college and got to know these men together. They just had a, a guys weekend, and, uh, and I've gone to that several times, and, and uh, they had it this year. I didn't go this year, but um, for about, well, I don't even know how many years now that we've been doing this. About eight of us get together. We get a cabin in the Smokies, and, um, and then we just have a good, good time reconnecting. And, you know, there's something about that, that friendship that the Lord has given us. A lot of us, we grew up in the Lord together right? We had a pastor and, and a, a college minister that um, just put up with us, and they loved us, and they taught us, and they opened the Word, and they discipled the Word. And I can tell you certain times in my walk with the Lord in my living room or in the back of their field around their fireplace or in their living room or out at this restaurant when the Lord did specific things in my life. And we will sometimes go um, we text a whole bunch. There's a text thread that's kind of always going, but, but um, we can go for a long time, and we, we sometimes just don't talk because one of us gets busy. We all live different lives. But then when we just re-engage again, it's just like yesterday. It can be that in your prayer life with the Lord, too. We don't have to reach out to each other as friends and say, well, let me give you all of the reasons why. We just say, hey, Mark, Hey, Joseph, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? And we just pick up and we, we carry right on. The Lord will carry right on with you. If you're a Christian that says, I haven't been praying very much, if you're a Christian who says, I struggle with prayer, well, come talk to another struggler with prayer. This is a hard sermon to preach. Because <laughs> I, I really want to sit here and have somebody else come up and preach this same text. I struggle with prayer. Prayer is a battle. But prayer is good. It is good. And sometimes I go into prayer with a feeling of guilt. And you know the best thing to do with a feeling of guilt, which is in most cases conviction of the Holy Spirit from a, uh, a father who loves you, is just to say, Lord, it's been too long. And I've been interested in other things and I've chosen busy. And I just confess that to you. And I'm sorry. I repent. And the Lord's like, you're forgiven, let's go. Paul tells us with all of these aspects of the armor of God, what we need to do is stand firmly on your knees. Right? Paul's told us, stand firm. After having done all, stand firm. Well, how do we stand firm? Well, we stand firmly 
on our knees, right? We're to, we to fight uh, with prayer at the core of who we are because as God's children, we are ambassadors talking with our Father and our King who has a mission for us. I love these absolutes or these, you might call them 100% words, um, that, that Paul introduces. He gives us five emphases um, regarding the character of the prayer life for followers of Jesus, he talks about our frequency in prayer all times, verse 18, right? The power of prayer comes from being in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, again in verse 18. There's, there's a diversity to pray. We're to pray uh, all kinds of prayer and then specific prayer requests. Uh, there's, a, there's a demeanor of our prayer. We're to be alert with perseverance, verse 18, kind of see toward the end there. And then the object of our prayer is to be praying for all the saints and me. Or, or those who are on the front lines in ministry, if you take it that way, right? So first, the frequency of prayer is just the idea that we're to literally be praying at every opportunity. One of the reasons why, and we've done this on missions trips, we've done this with a variety of different things, but um, is to, if you're in, in, in an area that's unfamiliar to you, but it's good even to do it in an area that is familiar to do, it's just to do a prayer walk. Now, that sounds all fancy and formal. It just means, like, walk around with your op- eyes open for two reasons. So you don't walk into anything or step in front of a car, or secondly, and primarily, so that you're aware of your surroundings, so that you can know for whom to pray. And so you walk and you, and you think about people that maybe live on your block, and we're not making assumptions about people, but when we see their house or when we see something that that person might need or when you walk around town and you consider what's happening in your town or when you uh, are on a break and you say, you know what, I'm going to take my candy bar, or I'm going to take my, my sandwich, and I'm going to just walk around my workplace and, uh, I, you know, it's okay to like stop while you're praying and just be like, oh, hey, how's it going? And then carry on praying, right? You don't have to like ignore people like, I can't talk to you, I'm praying right now. Just always praying walking around the church, you see people and you're praying for one another, always praying. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. All right? There are devoted times of prayer where you're alone in your home and your proverbial prayer closet and, and you're, you're sitting at your table or at your desk or sitting on your couch or in your chair. Maybe you're on your knees and you have a dedicated time of concerted prayer. There are times when you're, you're living life and you're going through life, and you're driving, and you're praying. Like, not just for your road rage, but, you know, for people or towns that you pass, or we're just communing with the Lord. Maybe for your road rage, too. God would give you grace to give to others in the same way that He's shown you grace, right? Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 of the persistent widow. And I love this passage. Very, very loosely paraphrased. This widow comes to pray and she's asking for justice from this. And God points this out. It's a parable, which means it's a made-up story that Jesus is, is telling in order to communicate a point. And one of the things he draws out is she, she goes to the, ju- the judge and she says, give me justice against my adversary. And at first he refuses, but then she keeps coming and she ke- keeps coming and she keeps coming. And he says, though I don't fear God or respect man. And that's important to realize. Though I don't fear God or respect man, I will give her justice because she keeps bothering me so she doesn't beat me down by continually coming and asking. He says that in the parable. And the point is that Jesus is drawing out this reality that 
this judge is unjust. He doesn't care about God or man. He's just after his own business. He's just giving her justice to get her out so he can focus on the business at hand. God is saying, I'm not like him. I'm a just judge who cares deeply about my elect children, verse 7 says, who cry to him day and night. So God, our Father, who is the just judge and caring Father, will of course answer us speedily. Now, speedily is relative to God's timing and God's will. Brother and sister, continue going to the Lord in prayer, laying the same request out with humility before the Lord at all times, everywhere, in different environments, and in different ways. Just keep going at all times. At all times in the Spirit. That's part of what it means to be praying in the Spirit, right? It's to, it's to pray in the name of Jesus in a way that is consistent with the will of God, that's consistent with His nature as we see it in the Bible. We need to be real careful not to attach our own values to what God must value. We must be careful to say, if it's something that, that God values as is seen in the Word of God, I'm going to pray according to that will, which really helps us uh, limit how we pray, but it does not set limits on our prayer, right? It, it keeps us uh, careful from just declaring things in the name of God. There's a, there's a movement, a word of faith movement, different kinds of movements that will just say you need to just declare it. Well, there are things that God has given us in the Word to declare, but there are also certain things that, have, that God has given a particular people in a particular place of time something specific to declare that does not necessarily transcend to every Christian in every culture. And so it's important to understand that. It's important to understand what it is that God wants us to pray for, or at the end of the day, to just humbly lay out our hearts before the Lord and say, Lord, I have no idea if this is what you want for me. I have no idea if this is what you want for this individual that I'm praying for. So I just pray, Father, that I, in the right time, would know more of your will, that I would understand you more, and that they might know, or I might know, what decision we need to make, when we need to make a decision, and that we would patiently and humbly trust you in the meantime. Paul promises in Romans 8, 26 and 27 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how, what to pray for as we ought. So first of all, Christian, if you don't know what to pray, don't feel terribly bad. You just lock yourself into Romans 26, 8, 26. I don't know what to pray for as I ought. Paul said that's part of our Christian life. Okay, I'm right where I ought to be. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. So the Spirit of God intercedes for us while we're thinking about how to intercede for others or how to pray for ourselves. With groanings too deep for words. And He, God, the Spirit who searches hearts, who knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul wants us to understand that prayer is foundational. It's crucial for the deployment of all these other weapons. Being with God is what we need to give evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, for example. Rather than seeking after the fruit, I just need to put on joy. I really don't like people right now. 
So be, be joyful. I need to put on the helmet of salvation by fellowshipping with God so that I am reminded that my salvation is by Him, for Him, through Him, and in Him, and all for His glory. I need to rest in that. The problems with my car, my family, they're, they're not unimportant. But my salvation, resting in my relationship with the God of the universe, well, that, that helps color everything else that I view. And I need to rest in Christ while the enemy is assaulting me. It helps us know that the greatness of God's power it says that in the beginning of uh, chapter, we're halfway through chapter 1, 115 through 23. We're to be, we're to be strengthened by God's power so as to grasp the dimension of Christ's love for us and so be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul, the great encourager of the church, he wants them, he wants us to realize that a life of dependence on the Lord in prayer is essential if we're to engage successfully or you might even say faithfully in our warfare against these powers of darkness. The third thing we see is diversity, right? All prayer and all supplication. Uh, Philippians references that too. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, it's like by prayer and intensive praying, by prayer and praying. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Right? That supplication is the same Greek word behind uh, a, a petition, so we're, we're asking the Lord, we're praying generally, and at times we're asking more specifically, we're praying more fervently, right? The idea is we're supposed to stand firm by praying in the Spirit, all prayer and all supplication. It's, it's perhaps maybe the more uh, general word, prayer, whereas supplication is very specific to uh, a direction or an intensity of our prayer. And he's piling up these synonyms to, co to communicate the intensity and the focus of praying. So pray generally, pray at all times, pray specifically. And we're supposed to pray. Our demeanor is to be alert with perseverance, right? And we're working at staying alert as we persevere in prayer. It means to be awake and to be vigilant. Jesus told the disciples in the garden, watch out that you may watch out and pray, almost skip the most important part, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? So Jesus goes away and we get the idea that they, they quickly went asleep. They quickly fell asleep. And I'll tell you, we often chuckle at this story. We kind of make fun of these dudes, right? These disciples, Jesus's friends. But I have to temper that because back in those college days, I remember being around a, in the living room and we'd be praying. And I mean, like I would fall asleep. And let me just tell you, like I'm not a quiet sleeper. Just ask my wife. 
Um, and then at one point, I would like open my eyes. Like, did they notice? Like, did the 12 people or 8 people or 15 people that I'm praying with notice that I fell asleep? You know, did I do like one of these like, <laughs> you know, one of these kinds of things, you know? Some of you know, because you're doing it here sometimes, but, um, but anyway, we're moving right along. So um, did they notice, did they notice that I fell asleep? Well, sometimes they did, I'll be honest with you. And, uh, and sometimes they didn't. I don't know if I maybe was like gone for like a couple seconds or a couple minutes, right? And sometimes we were together and late and a long time or whatever. I'm justifying it right there. Of course I fell asleep. I have to be careful because like these disciples, I too sleep. And I have fallen asleep in prayer, and I am not better than they thinking that I would not have slept in the middle of that strong spiritual battle that they were facing. But it is still fun to poke at them. We just need to keep it at poking and not, not condemning, right? You know, this, um, this idea of keeping alert ties in with the military analogy of a, a soldier on watch or a guard on watch, you know, you've got, to, you've got, when you're alert, it's your job to stay alert for the protection of the camp, for the protection of everyone who you're, whom you're protecting, obviously, right? I remember, um, I remember uh, driving home one time, and um, I used to, go, I went to college in Tennessee, and I would drive between Tennessee and Maryland sometimes about eight hours away. And um, so when I would drive home sometimes, sometimes my sister and I would drive together. At other times, we'd each kind of drive, um, you know, at different times of the year or whatever. And whether we were together or whatnot, I mean, it was nice to have a partner to help keep you awake there, but um, we'd be driving home, and there would be times we would get home between like 1, 2, 3 a.m., and so there are times in there where you're just like, you're really, really tired, right? And so you're doing whatever you can, you know? We crank the radio, and we're singing our guts out to whatever songs we can find, and we're going in these places where there are no signal, and uh, so we do that, or we, we, uh, we crank the AC, or we, uh, we roll down the windows, and we're like, well, it's nine degrees outside. I don't care. I need nine degrees on my face right now. We try to, you know, get all the wind coming in the car, right? You slap your face. I mean, you, you do whatever you need to do to, to stay awake, to be able to keep alert with perseverance. One pastor wrote a, uh, I don't know, a testimony or a blog post or whatever sometimes, and he said, you know, I've got this small little room, and sometimes I am, like, it's still early in the morning, and I'm having a hard time even getting moving in the day, and so I just am up with the Lord, and I just am reading my Bible and praying, and I've got this little space. You know, the room is like 10 by, you know, 10 or whatever the case might be, but by the time you add in some furniture and a desk and different things like that, you're talking about a pretty small space small space. And so sometimes I'll just take my Bible and I'll just read my Bible and I'll just walk around because if I don't, I'll fall asleep. And I can't fall asleep because in order to be the husband that I need to be, in order to be the the pastor that I need to be, I need to be before the face of God before I get my day going. And so I, I do whatever I need to do to keep alert with perseverance in my prayers. Do you see a person suffering? Oh, don't just think, oh, I'm sorry, I hate that they're suffering. Go to the Lord on behalf of that person in their suffering. As you're living your life, keep alert. Pay attention to your surroundings. And when you notice something, when you think of something, go to the Lord in prayer. We want to be alert, awake, vigilant, persevering in our prayers. Do you see someone that, that it seems evident as best as a human person can tell? 
that they haven't trusted in the Lord for their salvation, take them to the Lord in prayer. Carry them to prayer and ask the Lord. Sometimes I pray, Lord, help me to be a faithful friend. Help me to be a faithful brother to remember to pray because I know my own tendencies. Help me to be faithful in remembering. Would you bring them to my mind? And then there's sometimes you could do something about it, like text yourself or, or write it down or whatever the, the case might be. And then the object of the prayer is all the saints and Paul. So one of the main ideas of the entire letter of Ephesians is, is that Christians are not living in isolation. In the Western world, in the Western church, we are very much a culture of individualism, right? In other countries, you might, you might ask somebody what they do for a living, and they will tell you about the company they work for or the people that they work with. In, a, in, in the United States, we might ask, answer the question with our job title, or the specific function of our job in terms of what do I do for a living. Now, that's not wrong. It's a part of the culture that we grow up in. It's just to point out the reality that we live in a culture that is very individualized. And so it makes sense. It follows that we might go to church and think about what I want in church, what I like in church, or whatever the case might be. And so without getting too far off track, the point is that we want to be living the entire, uh, in the reality that the entire letter of Ephesians is we are people together. We are a body. We are, as Paul has told us, God's temple that is being built up in its great diversity. Specifically in Ephesians was Jews and Gentiles being built up together into God's temple. Part of the mystery of the gospel that Paul got to, got to talk about. But, but his point is, God is uniting everything in the universe in Christ. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is first, and everything is being united. Everyone is being united together in Christ. Oak Grove Church family, we are one in Christ. It is a reality that God has declared. We are one, and we are being made one in Christ. We just need to walk in line with that reality. We need to submit to the Lord's understanding of what that reality is and understand increasingly what it means to be a part of the fellowship of the saints. If you're in battle, the last thing you want is for the soldier next to you to get shot and die. Because you need everyone you can to help defeat the enemy. When one of our brothers and sisters in the church is, is hurting, we are hurting. Well, when one of, one of our brothers and sisters is weak or absent, we're, we feel it. When you are absent, we feel it because we're one. We're a body. And so when you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, you'll also likely be more inclined to love them sacrificially. When you're in prayer for people, you will likely be more ready to graciously forgive. Because we can only maintain selfishness for so long as we begin to pray. When we go to the Lord, the Lord through His Spirit and His kindness, has a way of stripping away all the things that aren't important and helping us to focus on what is. And it happens through prayer. 
Verse 19 points out we need to pray specifically for those who are on the, on the front lines of ministry, right? Paul's an ambassador, and he has orders from, from a king. We don't think about kings and ambassadors very often, but, but we have, uh, we have um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the word right now. We have embassies in different countries, and everything that the United States needs in order for that ambassador to, to do his job is within that one square block, and so if, the, if, if, if our president gives a, a, an order that needs to be communicated or negotiated with a king or a prince or a, um, somebody in another country, well, that am- ambassador and that embassy has everything needed to do the job. Paul knew that as an ambassador for Christ, he was in danger. He knew that his life likely would be coming to a close. In 2 Timothy, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, with the, which, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Paul was an ambassador who knew he had no plans to retreat from what God had called him to do. And so that's what he prays. Pray that I will have boldness to open my mouth to proclaim this great gospel. As we think about praying, as we think about praying in one of these ways, or in all of these ways, if you need help with prayer, we would love to just either help you with some resources or pray with you about your prayer life, any of those sorts of things. Remember, we're a body. We're not called to do this on our own. And so, we can equip you. You can pray for us. We can pray for you. We can set times to pray briefly together to help get you going. But at the end of the day, we can also not overcomplicate it. I mean, we can talk for weeks and weeks and weeks just about these, this hand set of, handful of verses. But when we leave here today, everyone who has a Bible, and we all have phones, so we all have Bibles, and you say, I don't know how to pray. Well, you open up your Bible and you just begin to read your Bible and then you pray whatever comes to your mind. You can grow in new ways of prayer. You can develop your perseverance in prayer. Sure, fine. But it would be unwise for us, counterproductive for us to say, well, I'm, I'm going to wait until I get it figured out and then I'll pray. No, open it, read it, pray. Well, I don't really know how to pray. God, Dad, Lord, and you just start talking. It can be intimidating if you're around people who are eloquent prayers, prayers. And what I promise you is that God is not up there with a prayer scorecard. You know, if you've ever been on a dance team or you performed with a, a band or you go to a judge and you get judged on, on, on how well you, you play the right notes or, or uh, dance the right steps, and then there are things like elegance and grace and all these other things, there's not a scorecard. The goal is to grow in fellowship with your heavenly Father. That's it. More will come but the Lord will handle when it comes and how it comes. We need to stand firmly 
on our knees. And in closing, uh, the Apostle Paul it communicates to us in these last few verses that Christ-centered, caring relationships are essential to a church that is to be unified in Christ. He says, so that you may also know what I'm doing uh, or how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace, to, to the, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So Tychicus was his friend who may have, uh, who may have uh, scribed this letter for Paul. We don't know exactly, but he may have done that. But we do know that he delivered the letter, and he had two purposes in it. Number one, get the letter to them, right? Carry the mail. And number two, fill them in on everything that we're not writing about. Tell them how I'm doing. Tell them what foes we're facing. Tell them what challenges we're up against. Let them know that I'm okay because I'm in the Lord, there was a, 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 a tight kinship and fellowship and friendship between Paul and the, and the churches that he served. And so Paul would pass on his greetings and how he's doing, but he would also, Paul says, and he will encourage your hearts. What Christian friend do you have that has encouraged your heart? Maybe that's where your prayer begins. Lord, thank you for this person who's encouraged my heart? Or who can, whose heart can you encourage even in your own way? Whether it's in a few minutes when we celebrate the Lord's Supper and communion and you say, you know what, I want to go encourage this person's heart. And I think today we'll just even give permission to say, like, I don't really know what all to say to you, so I just want to encourage your heart. Okay, thanks. Consider me encouraged. The gesture will go a long way. And Paul talks about God's divine favor and his blessing and how this all works together. And he repeats these same three words, phrases that he has done all throughout this book. He talks about peace, talks about love, and he talks about faith. Peace breeds to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, grace, God's unearned, unmerited divine favor, divine kindness. I, I mentioned at the beginning of our time today, sometimes we we sing these songs about the Lord loving us but we often feel like, well, we don't deserve it. And the world wants to tell you that you deserve everything. And the reality is we don't. That's what makes God's love and grace, well, that's what makes God's love grace, gracious. We don't deserve it. And you will do yourself a disservice to try to keep propping yourself up and telling you all the ways you think that you deserve God's love. It's counterproductive to the entire idea of God's unmerited favor. We just say, thank you, Father, for loving me. And in closing, he talks about 
Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with what? With love incorruptible. Do you know why this love is incorruptible? It goes all the way back to the beginning of Ephesians where Paul says that God has chosen you and blessed you. Why? So that God... In the end of time, in the, in, the, in the gallery of eternal history, in the, the heavens and the earth, will set up his people as trophies of God's grace. Not trophies of our excellence, trophies of God's grace. And at the end of the day, isn't that what we all want? Because we know we can never measure up. This is why we need a Savior who willingly gave his life. Jesus said, no man takes my life, but I willingly lay it down. And we have the opportunity to, to remember this. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me until the day that I come back. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we, we take this, this bread and we take this, this juice, which are, which are symbols Right? There's nothing uh, myst mystical or magical happening as we eat this bread or drink this cup. It's a, it's a simple, it's a, a symbol, it's a visual reminder of what has happened spiritually as God sent His Son Jesus to pay the sin debt that each one of us deserve. And so we eat this bread and we remember that Jesus' body was beaten and torn and crushed and ultimately died. And that his blood was spilt because without blood being shed, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Religion doesn't save you. Family line doesn't save you. Best effort doesn't save anyone. And so we say, thank you, Lord. Maybe you need to repent of something before you do that. You know, repentance is a wonderful aspect of worship, not something that should bring shame. It's beautiful, and it pleases our Father. So you say, Lord, I repent. Thank you for giving your life and shedding your blood for me. Many other kinds of prayers you can pray during, during communion. We have two stations up front. We'll have two in the back. And also want to let you know that uh, for those of you who need gluten-free communion, we have some on the back table in the back, I think starting this week. So um, we'll have that available for you, but just want to let you know about that. Would you join your hearts and pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us first. Thank you for supplying us with everything that we need for life and godliness. Through, through the knowledge of who you are, both, both in, in our, our minds as we understand you more and more, as well as in our experience as we walk out in faith how you have called us to live. And Lord, we pray with Paul, bowing our knees before the Father from whom every family in, hev in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory that you would give us the strength that you would cause us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith.
and that we would, realizing that we are rooted and grounded in love, have strength to understand with all the saints, all the believers, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses our understanding, and that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's your will for us. We know it because we read it in your inspired word of God. Help us by prayer to be putting on the whole armor of God so that we can stand from our knees. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.